and uh, however you prefer, open your Bibles or Bible apps. We're going to be starting in Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel 28, as we continue uh, this uh, summer series where we are investigating, uh, just kind of asking the standard who, what, when, where, why, how questions of the church and things under, uh, things around the church, you know, um, <clears throat> the things of the church, that's the, that's the word I was looking for. Uh, it started a few weeks ago with C to C. I don't know if you remember that. Creation to the church. And that kind of serves as a, as a partial outline for the series. And then we continued by asking the question, who is Jesus? And we answered that by looking at the Gospel of Luke, where we saw four different stories that give us some insight. In Luke 4, Jesus demonstrated he has power over demons by setting a man free with just his spoken word. It shows us that Jesus has power to release captives. Later in the chapter, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. The passage goes on to say that he healed many of various diseases, showing us that Jesus has power over sickness. In chapter 5, we see that Jesus has power to heal as he forever changed a man's life who had the death sentence of leprosy. And just a few, few verses later, he healed the paralytic as his four buddies lowered him through the roof down to Jesus. It proves that Jesus has power over handicap. Now in all these, we were reminded, these are, these are more than just stories. It's the same that's true with, with the entire Word of God. They're more than just stories. They really did happen, including what is most significant, that Jesus has power over death as he demonstrated as he rose again from the grave never to die again. <clears throat> now these are just some of the characteristics that set Jesus apart from everyone else. His power to release captives, his power over sickness, his power to heal, his power over death. These are true of no one but Jesus. He is God's one and only Son. He is the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is our living hope. He is God. And hopefully you can say with me, He is my Savior. And without Him, I would be completely lost, completely broken, completely guilty, and completely hopeless. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And it is my perpetual prayer that it never loses its awe in my life, that, I never, that it never becomes familiar, that I never get tired of the gospel. Jesus and the gospel should be why we do everything here at First Baptist Church, everything in our lives. And so it is important to establish who Jesus is because, just like with most true stories, there is good and there is evil. It's also important to know who our enemy is. Not that we ever want to give him uh, a higher place than he actually has. Uh, but to know what we are up against so that we can stay guarded against his attacks because we know that he still uses the same schemes that he always has. Now remember in C to C, creation to the church, not long after God created everything, there was a backstory, and it went something like this. Sometime before God created everything we see, God created angels. Angels are majestic beings whose job it was to worship 
God in heaven. The most beautiful and prestigious angel was the worship leader. His name was Lucifer. And Lucifer began to have thoughts like, you know what, I think I'm better than God. I think I can do this this whole thing better than him. I think, I think God's not as good as he says he is. And so Lucifer went to the other angels and he said, listen, I think I'm better than God. I think I could do better at God than what he does. And about a third of them said, you know what, I think you're right. And they followed him. But two-thirds of them said, there's no way you're better than God. Nobody is better than God. And so God, knowing what Lucifer and the angels that agreed with him were up to, he cast them out of heaven He called him Satan, and he created a place called hell for them, which is described as most hopeless, eternal torment, eternal fire, eternally separated from God. There is no place more hopeless than hell. Satan came to the garden, to the woman, Eve. And he came disguised as a serpent, and he did what he still does today. He questioned God, just like he he likes to get us to do. God didn't really say this, did he? He loves us to uh, question God's word. He loves to get us to question if God even exists because Satan hates people and he hates God and he especially hates it when people worship God because that was once his job. Satan questioned Eve. God didn't really say you'll die if you'll eat this, did he? Well, Satan didn't make her do it. Eve chose to give in. Adam was just as guilty because he took what Eve gave him, and that's when sin entered the world. The first blank on your outline, Satan introduced sin to the world. Satan introduced sin to the world. Now, there are two passages that most scholars agree speak of the fall of Satan. They're they're passages that we really don't visit very often. Uh, Both are actually describing earthly kings, but when we read them, uh, we see what is being described is way more than an earthly king. So let's look at Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17. It says this, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Skip down to verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. And Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. Now, no earthly king could ever be described as perfect or a covering cherub. That's a description used only to describe the angels Michael and Gabriel and other places in the word. Both the highest ranking angels. Uh, No earthly king was in Eden. When it speaks of walking back and forth among the fiery stones, it's probably referring to the stones, the jewels, the precious jewels listed in verse 13. We didn't read them. 
but of which six are also used to describe the walls of heaven in Revelation 21. No earthly kings ever walked among the precious stones of heaven. And so this is describing Satan. The other passage is in Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. <clears throat> Notice what it says. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, for you, were, you, weakened, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, Is this the man who made earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? You think about this, the, the fear instilled by every evil earthly king is fueled by Satan. Satan uses earthly kings to shake kingdoms. Satan uses earthly kings to destroy and take captive. So this passage too is describing Satan. The next blank on your outline. Pride is the foundation for everything Satan does. Pride is the foundation for everything Satan does. Uh, Notice verse 13 and 14. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I, 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 me, me, me. Everything that Satan does is built upon the foundation of pride. The garden. He fed the pride that was already in Adam and Eve. The pride that said, you know better than God. I mean, think about that statement. I know better than God. There is no more pride-filled statement than I know better than God. If we follow that statement out to its conclusion, then Eve could only know better than God if she was above God. I can only know better than God if I am above God. So Satan believed he was above God. He led Eve to believe that she was above God. The same lie that he tries to sell you and me. Everything he does is rooted in pride. Now, I have always, ever since I was a kid, I've heard that a third of the angels joined Satan and became demons. Where do we get that from? The best passage that supports this belief is in Revelation 12. Now, we looked at this uh, just a few months ago. You might remember the, the title, uh, The Woman, the Child, and the Dragon. Not just a children's book. It's, uh, it's, it's serious stuff. We identify the woman as Israel, the child as Jesus, and the dragon as Satan. Look at uh, Revelation 12, 3 through 4, and then verse 9. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon. Who is the dragon? Remember? Satan. Having seven heads, ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them down to earth. Now look at verse 9. 
And so the great dragon, that's Satan, was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So most scholars associate the third of the stars, also known as heavenly hosts, which is another name for angels. Most associate those thrown to the earth in verse 4 with his angels cast to earth in verse 9. The same word is used to describe Satan, the stars, and demons being cast or thrown to earth. And so that's where we get the belief that a third of the angels join Satan's rebellion. Everything he does, everything they do, is built upon the foundation of pride. And the next blank on your outline, the enemy is crafty. The enemy is crafty. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church regarding being duped by false teaching. 2 Corinthians 11.3 I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupt from the simplicity that, that is in Christ. So he's crafty and he deceives. The next blank on your outline. Now think about that word, deceive. To deceive is to trick. To deceive is to purposefully get, secretively get somebody to believe a lie, to swindle, to sell a bill of goods. In Revelation 12, 9, Satan deceived the entire world. There is always a purpose behind Satan's deceit, which we will see here in a moment. So we're developing this answer, who is Satan? Everything he does is rooted in pride. He is crafty. He deceives. The next blank, he comes disguised. He comes disguised. Now, when, when someone puts on a disguise, it's because they want to be something that they're not. Now, when our kids do it, it's, it's in good fun. But it's never in good fun when Satan does it. It's always because he has something to hide. He came disguised as a serpent in Genesis. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. That word transformed means disguised. And so he comes disguised as an angel of light because he wants to hide who he is and the purpose of what he's doing. He wants to, to hide the purpose of his deceit. So what is the purpose of everything he does. We know what it's rooted in. What's the purpose? Well, the next blank's on your outline. He is a liar. He's actually the father of lies. All lies are birthed from him. And he is a murderer. Jesus spoke to unbelieving Pharisees in John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and the de desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. What do liars do? They lie. Yeah. What do murderers do? They kill, they murder. Next blank on your outline. He's also a thief. What does a thief do? Some of you want to say thieves, right? But he steals, yeah. A thief steals. John 10.10, 10, 
The thief only comes except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Church, Satan has no other purpose but to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That is his purpose. He will do whatever it takes to get you and I to believe the lies that he tries to feed us and to pursue a lifestyle against God's will. So who is Satan? He's the pride-filled father of lies, former worship leader of heaven who craftily disguises himself so as to deceive and hide who he is and what he's up to, which is always taking what doesn't belong to him, sucking the life out of everyone that he can, and destroying lives one after another. All he does is take, take, take. In contrast to Jesus, who always gives, gives, gives. Life abundant. Satan and Jesus are complete opposites. There are, there are no further ends of the spectrum but Satan and Jesus. So the question becomes, why? <clears throat> why does he want to destroy us? I think there's, there's at least a couple of reasons. The first is because he, he hates God. He hates people, and he hates it when people worship God because that was once his job. Another reason is found in Genesis 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why does, why does Satan want to destroy us? Because we are God's image bearers. You and I are God's image bearers, and anything he can do to distort the image of God, he will do. That's why he tempted Eve, to distort and break the image of God. See, the, the truth is, you and I are broken images. We're supposed to be image bearers of God, but we are broken images. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought sin to all that would follow, including you and me. We are broken images, which is why Jesus steps in. He was never an afterthought. He was never the result of God scrambling to somehow try to fix his broken image bearers because he didn't see it coming. If you've been around long enough, you know the one scarlet thread from one cover to the next is the gospel of Jesus because it has always been God's plan. Look at Colossians 1, verse 16 says, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So he was always here, he was never an afterthought. Notice verse 15, with the idea that we are God's image bearers, but we are broken images of God. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. You and I are, are broken images, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Okay, so um, most of us probably, when we got ready this morning, uh, we, we looked in a mirror in our, in our bathrooms or where, wherever. 
when we were getting ready. A mirror is designed to reflect the image of whatever is looking into it. Just like you and I were designed to reflect the image of God when he looks into us. But he can't. Not that he can't, but he, he, he doesn't because of sin. And so it's like as if, uh, if somebody came into your bathroom and just completely shattered your mirror. You wouldn't try to put it back together because it is forever broken. You have to get a new mirror. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. All those broken pieces, yeah, we can try to put them back together. Jesus makes all things new. He conforms us into being no longer a broken image, bearing the image of God like we were designed to. Can you imagine? I mean, it still blows my mind that when God looks at my wretched and sinful heart, the righteousness of Jesus reflecting back at him. That is incredible grace, isn't it? We, uh, we know and love Romans 8.28. Listen to it in context to verse verse 29 and what we're speaking of here. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now look, listen to verse 21, 29, excuse me. For whom he, that's God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Many times people will get caught up in the in the wording of verse 29. I believe that he has called whosoever will to be conformed to the image of his son. To make right and whole once again. To be the image bearers of God again. He doesn't just fix the old. He makes us new. And that's why Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why Satan wants to distract Everyone that he can from accepting Jesus as their Savior. Because he hates that through Christ, you and I become restored image bearers of God. So that when God looks at what I know is my sinful, wretched heart, he sees the reflection once again. Continue in Colossians 1. Verse 19, it pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. By him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his, of his cross. And you, tell your neighbor, he's talking to you and me. Go ahead and tell him. You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. While we are broken images because of sin, Jesus is not. He makes us brand new. A couple more things and we're done. 
Many of us are probably familiar with John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Here's another question for you. Who is the Word? It's Jesus. I heard it. Yeah, it's Jesus. And, and remember, Satan hates Jesus. And that's why one of his tactics still today is to attack the Word of God. You can write that down. Satan will always attack the Word of God. He hates Jesus, who is the Word of God, but he hates the Word of God. He, he's done a pretty good job of it. I mean, the, the Lord has laid out in His Word the principles that we need to live life abundantly, but so many have rejected it because Satan has attacked the Word of God. So many have bought into those lies. We see the effects of that each and every day of our lives, don't we? It's all the more reason for you and I to, to fill and establish our lives upon the Word of God. To know what it says. To hide His Word in our hearts. To let it light our paths. To let its life and power pierce our souls and discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. I mean, we see it in Satan's first line in Genesis. He will always attack the Word of God. Christian, beware. Be ready. Know the Word. So who is Satan? <clears throat> He's the pride-filled father of lies, former worship leader of heaven craftily disguises himself so as to deceive and hide what he is up to, what he's trying to do. What's he trying to do? It's always taking what doesn't belong to him, sucking the life out of everyone that he can, destroying the lives of those who are called to be God's image bearers one after another so as to distract as many as he can from hearing the word of God and accepting the gospel. Why would we give him any space in our lives? Why, why would we even crack the door open? Because here's the deal. He is a formidable foe. The last blank on your outline. We do not have to live in fear of him. That's, that's the good news. Because God's word gives us the end of the story. As, as powerful and formidable as he is, he cannot go past the boundaries that God has set for him. He is not in control. Our God is. And one day, he will be disposed of forever. And all who have trusted in Jesus will worship him for all eternity. Look at Revelation 20. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 21.4, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. Don't we look forward to that day? The former things will be passed away, and this life, everything in this life, will be considered light, 
momentary affliction compared to the glory of heaven. We go into a time of invitation. Would you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes? There are some pretty good questions that have come up in the message today. Questions that you and I need to honestly take a look at. What lies has Satan led you to believe? You've, you've allowed his voice to be the loudest and has drowned out the voice of Jesus who does not condemn. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan wants to condemn. He wants to disguise his voice as God's. God convicts, but he doesn't condemn because of Jesus Christ. What area have you allowed Satan to come into your life? Even though you know all of this evil is true that we've seen today. What bait of pride have you taken a hold of? What has Satan stolen from you that the Lord wants to redeem? How has Satan attacked the word of God in your life? God didn't really say this, did he? God doesn't really mean this, does he? Church, don't we know we need to recognize the truth to all these questions? So as to stand against the schemes. Of the enemy. Listen, I know in, in a room this size, we all have people in our lives who, who we know that Satan has completely blinded. Would you just lift them up by name to you, uh, to, to the Lord right now? And ask that God would, would open their eyes. To see the truth that Satan is a liar. And all he wants to do is to steal, kill, and, dis- and destroy. And they have been duped into believing a lie. Lord, we just lift up these specific names. Lord, we pray for our kids, wherever they are, however old they are. You would put your hedge of protection around them, Lord, around their minds. That you would not give Satan a foothold in their lives. Lord, that they would not reject the faith of their parents, but they would it would be their own, Lord. God, protect. God, fight those battles. And and Lord, we know that many times these battles have to be fought on our knees for years to come. Lord, give us the strength. Because what a picture of redemption. Life is is pulled out of the lifestyle of sin. God, be with us. Help us to see recognize Satan's activity in our lives and to reject it, Lord, 
Help us to build our, our lives on the firm foundation of the Word of God so that when Satan attacks the Word, your Word, we recognize it. Because we've been listening to the Holy Spirit all along. Lord, we acknowledge that Satan is a formidable foe. Lord, we thank you that you have won. What he's done. Glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. Praise God. Be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. Help us to live for you. We lift up uh, church camp this week. We pray for an awesome week for our students, adult leaders as well. Be with those who are hurting. In the awesome name of Jesus we pray. Amen.